Over the past year and a half, the coronavirus pandemic has changed the way we live our lives in more ways than one. From social distancing to virtual doctor's appointments, even our regular everyday tasks have been adjusted. According to a recent McKinsey and Company article, to help reduce the spread of coronavirus, telehealth appointments were 78 times higher in April 2020 than in February 2020. Because of the public health emergency, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services expanded access to telehealth services, allowing patients to receive a wider range of services, including occupational therapy. But as the world continues to navigate the pandemic, practitioners across the nation are wondering what the future of telehealth looks like for them. Today, Monica Wright, Manager, Coding, and Payment Policy at AOTA, shares what telehealth advocacy efforts her team has done on behalf of the occupational therapy profession. Also, we hear from a community-based and school-based practitioner on how telehealth has impacted day-to-day work and goals for the future. In March 2020, the U.S. Secretary of the Health and Human Services Department broadened access to telehealth services so that patients could receive a wider range of services from their doctors without having to travel to a healthcare facility. Unfortunately, the first ruling only allowed occupational therapy practitioners to do virtual check-ins and telephone visits, but no interventions. Wright remembers the confusion this caused for the occupational therapy community and the hard work she and her team did to encourage a resolution by CMS. And we were on the phone with CMS constantly. <laughs> we were, you know, writing letters, requesting meetings, doing everything we could to get them to see that this just d- didn't make sense. We were also working very closely with the other therapy associations, with APTA and ASHA, uh, trying to advocate together because the more voices, you know, sometimes things can get done a little bit faster. Working, as, you know, as hard as we could in every possible way to to get these doors open. AOTA's advocacy efforts helped regulators rethink the decision, and by the end of April, occupational therapy practitioners were eligible to provide telehealth services to clients. Important, however, is the recognition that once the public health emergency comes to an end, practitioners may lose this eligibility as they are still not considered telehealth providers. This would leave many patients without access to care. The AOTA Regulatory Affairs Team continues to advocate for legislation that recognizes occupational therapists as telehealth providers, which would allow practitioners to permanently provide telehealth services. With the public health emergency extended until at least October 18th of this year, the team is hoping this legislation will pass as soon as possible. So uh, there are a couple of uh, pieces of legislation in Congress right now. Uh, The one that we're most excited about is the Extended Telehealth Access Act, H.R. 2168, which has 33 House co-sponsors. That bill puts into law absolutely that occupational therapy practitioners will have uh, be able to perform telehealth permanently. But there are a couple of other pieces of legislation moving through. 
that would give uh, CMS the authority to allow telehealth to be performed by occupational therapy practitioners. So there is the possibility if those go through that, that we would be included also. The good news is, is that we've kind of uh, been told, there was a letter to the governors earlier than in the year that the administration is probably going to extend the public health emergency until the end of the year. That would give us more time, obviously, to get legislation passed. But if for some reason they choose not to, they also said that they would probably give a 60-day grace period after the end of the PHE before it went away. So at least it won't be an overnight transition. Now that practitioners have been performing telehealth services over the past year, it's important to understand how telehealth has impacted the services they provide, both positively and negatively. Mary Jo McGuire, president and owner of a home and community-based private practice, works mostly with traumatic brain-injured clients. Pre-pandemic, she often spent around 75 minutes with each of her clients in their respective homes. But the pandemic quickly changed the way she provided services. I mean, the, the joy of our work is taking people into the community, is, you know, seeing if they can put gas into a car, see if they can, you know, find things in the grocery store or tolerate the hubbub. And so it's all about getting out. So that stopped. And we had to figure out, okay, how can we serve people at the level where they are right now and still move them forward if we're going to be doing this on telehealth? Like many practitioners, McGuire had concerns about implementing telehealth. Shifting sessions to Zoom forced McGuire to think outside the box when working with clients. For instance, a group of patients she typically met with in her clinic was suddenly doing group Zoom sessions. And to McGuire's surprise, it worked. You know, again, it was more talk, but it was talking about doing. It wasn't talking about the problem so much. It was focused on how are you doing this and what are you doing with this and and encouraging them to stay active. And they really enjoyed connecting with one another and challenging each other. So it was a, a much more enriched environment than the therapist being one-on-one. Unfortunately, not all of McGuire's clients were able to transition to telehealth. The lack of physical involvement is difficult through a computer screen. I had one client that it, was, it didn't work well with, but we were in serious shutdown and we had to do it. It was very, very sad case. He had, had frontal lobe dementia. And he was very young, really. I believe he was in his late 40s and owned his own business and had no insight into his problems. And it caused a lot of problems in the business, at home, with his two young children. He was on the school board and trying to get him to understand that he really was having problems and to pull away from some of these things was quite a challenge. So I was trying to Zoom with him and, and he would just get up and walk away, you know, and his wife would be there with him going, come back, come back, you know. Yeah, and I was there for the wife and we were able to, to deal with things. I mean, he had fallen. We got to problem solve some of that. So it was still useful, but not as effective as it would be with a client who was cognitively able to, to stay tuned to the screen. When considering the future of telehealth, 
McGuire recognizes the benefits that it offers, but says that it's not a replacement for face-to-face visits. Ideally, she would prefer only using telehealth to save time on initial evaluations or when a client is feeling ill. I'd rather do it on telehealth, connect with the person, put things together, submit, and then go in face-to-face. Especially because of our travel time, that travel time is not covered. And if you're only going to go out and only have one unit of care covered, that's, uh, that's a cost. So it would be wonderful for those insurance companies for us to be able to move forward saying, okay, in that situation, we'll just do telehealth visit, the first visit, and then we'll go in when we can treat. For clients, I can imagine that there would be situations where they're not feeling well and we would be able to continue caring for them through telehealth. Other than that, the joy of our practice is face-to-face, getting people out into the community, socializing them, getting them to be able to handle the challenges of life, which a lot of it takes place outside of the home. (laughs) And so we love to do that. And you can't really do that telehealth. So we we hope to go back to the majority face-to-face. I have been working as an occupational therapist for a long, long time. It's been 30 plus years. Meet Lourdes Pender, a school-based practitioner who has worked in the school system for 17 years. She says this past year has been different from the rest. Before the pandemic, Pender described her day-to-day as providing therapy services to students in classrooms from the moment she signed in until the moment she signed out. When it was time to move to remote learning, Pender relied on her skills in technology and creativity to quickly adjust to the new format. The thing is, when we were told that we were closing, we weren't prepare. We didn't have anything. Um, Our students didn't even have the devices or anything they needed to connect with us. So that was really hard. But um, the school district provided with so much education in terms of so many resources. And the other thing that I did was I started using the creativity that has always been there, but, you know, it, it was always kind of a given at this point, I made a lot of materials on my own. I guided the parents in terms of using whatever they have at home uh, to achieve the same means. Um, but many times I met in parking lots. I provided packages of things. I use the mail a lot. So we have something to connect through the screen that will meet the needs of the students. Over the past year and a half, Pinder noticed that many students benefited from the change of environment. One student in particular, who was struggling with fine motor skills in the classroom, actually had a positive experience with digital interactions. This was a student that his needs were in the fine motor area. Very much you have to guide him through every um, aspect of the task. And being the fact that he was guided by his grandmother, who is really zero knowledge in technology and she didn't even know how many times how do I what do I press in soon what do I have to do so that kind of situation what I have to do was I learned to use my my phone as a document camera so he can see models of what I wanted him to do I use a lot of the resources that were available to us to make the 
the sessions more interactive. That was one of the things that was very limiting initially, the fact that you wanted to be more interactive and, and get to the student. But in that particular case, we discovered that switching from paper to um, digital, he was actually able to produce more and participate in a lot of activities, grade level, that he couldn't do in the classroom. So now, as, as a result of that, that has been added to his educational plan. And when we go back in the building, this is a student now that will be able to keep up because that paper and pencil has taken a second place versus the digital world, and he's been able to come out of the box a little bit more. Although there have been many success stories, Pinder has witnessed the negative impact the lack of social interaction has had on our students. Having students that are not used to being isolated, I can see how that was detrimental to them in terms of um, not having that contact, not having that other person to talk to, and and being able to talk even to the peers because in the camera is a lot difficult for them. So the social aspect of the pandemic and being in telehealth, um, I think that was a big barrier for a lot of people. With many students returning to the classrooms in the fall, Pinder hopes some aspects of telehealth remain. She says it not only benefited students, but parents, teachers, and staff as well. I just hope that it will remain as a viable option for for some people. We spent a lot of time on this. Uh, There has been a lot of learning. That initial wall, that initial uh, obstacle that was there in not knowing, I think it's had kind of faded away because I think now everyone is more knowledgeable about what to do. Students that were ill for a long time, will be able to join from home their classes and continue to participate and don't feel that that is a gap in the learning because they were out for a long time. Um, I think in terms of um, how we coordinate and, and collaborate to one another, this is a great tool because you don't even have to be in one building to be able to meet and plan together. So some aspects of this, I think they will continue. And that is why the AOTA advocacy team is working to help the passage of permanent telehealth legislation following the public emergency. Allowing occupational therapists to have additional ways to treat patients is what it's all about. It's so important. When you see the changes that can be made when we finally got telehealth through for uh, occupational therapy practitioners and what a difference it makes, in the lives, not only of those practitioners, but in the lives of their patients. It just means the world to me to know that I'm, I'm doing something that makes a difference. To stay up to date on telehealth and occupational therapy, visit our website, aota.org. There you will find a state flexibilities chart, which highlights each state's telehealth laws. You will also find the commercial payer telehealth chart, which is regularly updated and will indicate if the policy has become permanent. Thank you, Monica Wright and the AOTA advocacy team for continuing to champion for the occupational therapy profession. Also, thank you, Mary Jo McGuire and Lourdes Pender 
for your hard work and dedication to your clients throughout the pandemic. My name is Chelsea Rossborough with AOTA.